dude makes his own clothes. He's my hero. Okay, maybe <laughs> I do have heroes and mentors. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Irenacast. I'm your host, Jeff, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Alan. hey On the first and third Tuesday of every month, we bring to you our perspectives on theology and culture from a post-evangelical lens. Thank you for joining us for another conversation to provoke your progressive Christian imagination. This week, we're going to talk about repentance and what that means to us and what that's meant to us in the past and how that's evolved or, more accurately, evolving in our own theological framework and lives. And for our segment, we're bringing back an oldie but a goodie called Famous Christians for 100, where we find different quotes from different people out there in the the interwebs and guess whether <laughs> which Christian personality it uh, it derives from. So stay tuned for that. So repentance, let's just get right into it. Um, this was a, a topic that I brought to the table because it is something that I think, I don't know, I'm still personally in process on. I think obviously growing up in an evangelical framework, the word repentance has a lot of weight and a lot of history and a lot of background and a lot of connections to what that means. And the reason that this got, (laughs) I don't know if triggered is the right word, but maybe a little bit is because I was, uh, I was flipping through Facebook and someone put a a raving review about Kirk Cameron's new film. I I put up air quotes when I said film. Um, I think it's called something like connected or whatever. And it's his latest cultural war rant against smartphones and what it's doing to our kids and all that kind of stuff. And uh, maybe I'm on that boat. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) it's a nuanced conversation and I don't think deserves. Maybe that's a whole episode for us down the line. Um, You know, of course, after we've carefully weighed Kirk Cameron's opinion. Uh, But Kirk Kirk Cameron, one of the (laughs) things that he was (laughs) most famous for or has been most famous for lately before he started these Christian films is uh, his evangelism approach called The Way of the Master. Uh, and essentially, it is this this drive to get people to repent, to convert. You know, sometimes repentance and com- being a convert seem to be synonyms within evangelicalism. And the whole basis or premise of this way of evangelism is convincing someone that they're a sinner, that they're horrible, and that they need right. God. And it's, you know, are you a liar? Well, no. Have you ever lied? Well, don't. doesn't that make you a liar? And just like down the line of the Ten Commandments, it's just this ridiculous thing and i've had exp- and people i people call it the romans road right it's the like romans road reputation right off of that yeah and this is just a meaner one and i had when i was a kid when i was i was a kid i think i was 19 you were a and kid i was like <laughs> i was like i'm a thief i stole a cookie one time from my parents and you guys are like you're not a thief i was like i am because i stole i i ate something that was baked before it was given to us my mom baked cookies and i took one ahead of time before we were allowed to have it and so i was like i'm a thief I think that's where it came from was that like, you know, step by step through the commandments. If you've broken one of them, this is who you are. This is right. Yeah, exactly. In that philosophy, by the way, that's a great way to start a conversation. Hey, have you ever thought about the fact that you're a piece of crap? (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I think that through the course of the show, you know, my my disdain for the even the idea of the depravity of all of humanity and all that kind of stuff. But I think that that philosophy of repentance is getting someone to be convinced that they as a person are bad. Right. Is it, it preys on people who are impressionable. It preys on people who will be devoted followers. And it's. It's gross. So it got me thinking about this idea of repentance. And I, you know, I've been thinking and working and studying through this idea for a long time because in a more progressive Christian context at church, when I do teaching and stuff like that, I feel like that there's a lot of qualification that I need to do with certain verses and certain terms before I can kind of get to the meat of what I really want to teach and what I want to, what I want to go through because there's so much baggage connected to these things. And I think repentance is one of them because I think that the definition of repentance itself is pretty s- simple. Like it's a change. It's a turning around. It's a, right. I thought this or I was this and now I'm this. That I have no problem with. The definition to me is pretty constant. There's no other like secret Greek meaning that changes the meaning of the word. It's all the stuff right. that's attached to it. Like what are you repenting from? What is your reasoning? What is your motivation? Like 
it's all that stuff that's attached to repentance that I think I've had to reevaluate. And I'm only now, even though I feel like I have peace with that, I'm only now beginning to have the right words in order to explain where I'm at now, which is why I wanted to bring it to this platform. Cause first of all, this conversation always helps <laughs> in terms of mm-hmm. kind of getting it out there and all that kind of stuff. But also hopefully some of you that are listening, you're kind of in that same place is what do I do with this idea of repentance? And when I hear the word, how can I reframe it and not just reframe the, the definition of the word itself, but everything that comes with it. So that's kind of the, right. the framework, the foundation for where I'd like to, to, to take this conversation. So unpacking some of that, meaning that it's attached to the the idea of repentance for me in my past would be looking at things like personal holiness and offending a holy God and moral purity and things like I am committing acts that are offending this holy God who is like wrathful towards sin and um, I have to be morally pure. So repentance is like going back to this place of innocence, right? And then like being innocent again. And I think a lot of those, a lot of those concepts um, have totally transformed for me in my faith. You brought up depravity, and like I would think original sin and things like that. So there are things that I no longer hold in my theology, or I don't believe. Like original sin, I don't believe everybody is born with the sin of their ancestors, or it's passed down from person to person, and we're all guilty and sinful when we're born. Like I, I, I don't believe that. Um, I think there are really good readings of texts that people have used to support that, that, that say something very different. But um, for me, repentance is like where I'm at now is that repentance is not just negation of things, but like a, a replacement. Um, when I hear Jesus in Mark, in the gospels, uh, begin to speak and talk about repentance. It's always about the kingdom. Repent because the kingdom is at hand. Repent because this new way is here. And repentance, you said turning around. That's like the old school youth group thing, right? Repentance right, yeah. is, is walking the other direction, uh, uh, turning around a 180 degree thing and walking in the other direction. I kind of like the idea of a change of direction because it does involve transformation. When I think of repentance, I think of like learning how to walk maybe in a new way. And so less of saying you're a piece of, you know, poo, you do all these morally bad things and God is angry at you. That, that's kind of the Romans road, right? And you need to repent um, and you need to go toward moral purity. It's more like, hey, uh, here's a direction and here is another direction and um, repentance to me now implies things like learning and discipleship. So like Jesus is, was, it will tell people, Hey, repent because this way is here. And so his followers learning his way, uh, brings them in a new, in a new direction. And, and it, it implies transformation. That stuff about like transformation is really much more fascinating to me than just stopping offending a holy God who's angry at all of my, moral impurities. Well, and that's kind of like the layers of this idea of repentance, because right now my mindset is far less concerned with like individual purity, but systematic change, right? So like the progression, at least from my readings and the stuff that I'm looking at right now, and I'm, I'm open to all kinds of different views and I'm kind of consuming this information as I go. So again, this is an in-process thing for me, but when I look at the old Testament, the, the word repentance is not used very often, but the idea of like mourning and putting on sackcloth is to me like the, the Hebrew scriptures represent much more of an, an active systematic repentance because it's all about kingdom. It's all about like King David and Saul and all these major systems that are called out by either the prophets or changed by the kings themselves. And it represents the systematic change. So you kind of have this narrative and physical examples of what repentance looks like, but it seems to be mm. on, on, on the, the surface of it. Like it's motivated by, by action, by you didn't do this. Now you should do this. And then the, the tone changes when it comes to, well, first of all, John the Baptist, which is more of like an apocalyptic repentance, right? Like the new kingdom is at hand. And then Jesus's idea of repentance being more of a, 
like a, like a holistic change of consciousness, not just the matter of like changing the things that you're doing, but changing the reason that you are doing it. And I think right. that there's, there's a process for that. That seems to be more of like a, a thing individually. Like how can you weigh whether your consciousness is changing? That's just something only you can know about you. And the only way we can measure change systematically is we look at things like the, the Me Too movement where because someone's calling out in a prophetic way, this system is broke and needs to change. Then change begins to happen. But then you wonder like that, that balance between reason and motivation. Like, okay, they're doing it because they don't want to lose business and they don't want to lose money. Are they really then taking that, that first level of repentance and are they really beginning to change the collective consciousness of that organization? Or are they just figuring out new ways to be the same? So that, so that, that's another way of saying like, rather than learning this new way, the way of life, right? That repentance leads to, it's just, being motivated to change the incidentals. Right. And I think that that was youth group for me, right? <laughs> like you just, we're all about habit formation. As long as you change your habits, like that, that's really what Christianity is all about is repenting of these bad habits and doing good habits. And right. that was reinforced over and over. And there are certain things that come out that, that reflect that. That's what I think when I, when I think of repentance from a systematic basis, I feel like we got to a place where because we weren't seeing it very often in terms of racism, that, it, it was taken care of, right? That's a, a lot of people's perspective is that, oh, racism, you know, racism died with the civil rights movement and we haven't had racism or whatever. But we're seeing obviously these huge flare ups, you know, and I think that it was one of those those instances of culture pushed away because it wasn't acceptable, a certain viewpoint. because and So people repented on a certain level, meaning, well, I'm just not going to be very public with these things. But right. once so the sin of racism was still a part of our society, it just wasn't showing up the same way. Right. And once it was given a voice right. and another platform, then it begins to come up. And that that things for me is like, then how how do we even have systematic change and personal change? And what does it look like to lead people in repentance? Because I think we I think we are in a season where people need to repent. Like we need true We're in Lent, literally. Right. Exactly. We need <laughs> we need true biblical repentance. Uh yeah. but but using the word repentance is obviously counteracting that. And I always go back to this. Again, I know this is all over the place, but I'm in process. So uh, hopefully everyone's tracking with my my thoughts here. But one of the first things that started to bother me when I was thinking in terms of you know evangelicalism and my move away from it was this idea of the way of the master, You know, getting people to realize that they're horrible and calling out culture because you need to stand up for what's right and what's true and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but when I, when I Look at the scripture. The only thing I can find, at least the New Testament, the only thing I could find in terms of what motivates people to repent is that verse from, I think it's Romans chapter two, I think it's verse four, somewhere around there, where it's like talking about the need for repentance and God's wrath and all that kind of stuff. And the only single motivation that Paul points out to what leads people towards repentance is kindness, you know, the, the, the good things that are given to you. And then everything that I learn about Everything that that I'm learning currently, thanks to, you know, the work of, you know, science, Mike McGargan, the liturgist about like brain development and stuff like that. There's a way to approach people when having a conversation to try to to try to number one, gain understanding, but then number two, to try to change someone's perspective. It, it requires a safe approach. It requires kindness. And with how divided everything is right now, I feel like we're everyone right and left is so much more concerned with being right than enacting real change or repentance that I don't even know where to fit in all of that. Um, more than even being right, it's about punishing those who are wrong. Oh, yeah. Good point. Yes, very much so. So I think that the reason I brought up like discipleship and stuff is that Jesus's call to repentance was a call to a different way of doing life. And that requires demonstration. The reason I hate the word repentance in the mouth of some preachers and thought leaders of my past was that they modeled a community that didn't actually repent of all of these deep sins. They just did it in a different way, like racism or the other things we're talking about. And so what, what I would like to see is that there are communities that are mutually supportive that demonstrate a different way of doing life that is life giving and affirming. And then when you put repentance in those people's mouths, it's totally different. You know, like it's like, Hey, come check out this way of doing things. Right. Yeah. Check it out. Like, and, and, and you know what? We're going to demonstrate what it's like so that you can actually see it and taste it and then, you know, consider being a part of it. 
rather than just hearing like, yeah, you, you know, you're stupid and you're wrong and this and that. It's more of a demonstrating uh, a way of life. And I think about AA, the AA group, people have been uh, studying like what makes it successful and what what doesn't work because uh, they've had a lot of success over the last, I don't know how long AA has been around, but they've had a lot of um, people that have gone through personal transformations a couple things, I guess. I read the book, The Power of, <laughs> I can't remember the name of it, The Power of Habit or something like that about transformation. And, um, they talked about like neuroscience and the brain reward loop. There's like a cue in your brain, you get a reward. And then so it creates a habit, um, in, in, in your brain. And so they talked about changing, you know, habits requires changing the, the rewards or changing the cues and things like that. But ultimately, when they talked about the a- the AA chapter, it was like things like supportive community are uh, completely essential to transformation. So having having your community around you is part of what transforms people, and belief is a big role in that too. Be- like belief for all of our transformations, wh- whatever direction we're coming from, the things that we believe are. Um, essential to our transformations. So I think for me, repentance is about like education and demonstration. So if someone can talk to me about a different way of doing life, show me that it works and then have a community that reinforces that and supports that, that's something I'll be interested in, you know? And part of the problem is that um, all of what repentance was for the past for me was a negation of like our individual personhood, a negation of like, I don't know, our desire to have sex or <laughs> like, I, I don't know, all these personal holy code stuff. And then you belong to this very sterile community that's like, that's kind of violent and scary, honestly. Like the the evangelical church, it has this like nice face to it, but it's actually, you know, you're on thin ice all the time. And it's like, I would rather have a community of people who are doing this way that Jesus talks about this course that shows justice that question that questions all the systemic oppression and our participation in it and not just questions that stuff, but shows a different way and demonstrates that different way. So when you talk about changing course or turning 180 and stuff, I love that. Show me a way that is life giving and I'll repent. You know what I mean? Don't just tell me that my way is stupid or something. And then, yeah, it's a, it's a use of repentance that, that upholds the status quo that upholds, everyone coming in line, (laughs) which is the opposite of the heart of what repentance is supposed to be. Exactly. Well, what you just said, upholding the status quo, it's like repentance is asking you to return to a time when like, I don't know, the 1950s or whatever to this golden era of, of when everything was right, (laughs) you know, society was the way that it was. And it's like, you know, repentance is a path that you walk down. It's not like this magic pond you go back to, you know, right. <laughs> you're, you're progressing. You're moving in a direction. It, well, you're still moving in a 180 direction, but we're talking a 180 in terms of ideas and consciousness, not a 180 right. in terms of time. <laughs> you know, like exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's a good way of putting progressive repentance. It's not about returning back to the Garden of Eden, like turning around and trying to get back to this, this perfect place. But we are moving in. We're all moving, right? We're all moving in directions and constantly transforming, and we're being transformed by our environments. I think that's the one thing we can say about humans is that we adapt. We adapt to the stimuli in our environments. And um, we are in need, I am in need, of people who can really demonstrate a different way of life because a lot of what we experience is not good for human health and wholeness. So in that sense, I love repentance. I would love to have this holistic call to repentance that like shows me how I can be free of my complicity in systemic oppression um, on the individual level, how I can experience more life giving ways of being in my regular everyday life, like the whole picture, not just little parts of it on either side or whatever. I feel like a soapbox right now. Like I'm just, <laughs> and that's kind of what this, this really? episode is really is we we're, we're getting some of that stuff out there because I think it is, it is a progress. Like I do need repentance and I think, Part of that idea of like repentance is not only just acknowledging that this way isn't working, but like you're saying, where's the new way? Where's where's the way that it can be modeled? And I I, I struggle with this in terms of we're out of place now as as we consider ourselves progressive Christians, and part of that identity as a progressive Christian is acknowledging people's stories, acknowledging people's experiences, especially people's experiences who are not our own. But I 
I'm at a loss continually on how do I repent of that? Like, what do I do now? And am I doing enough? And what can I do outside of just changing my own perspective? And how do I engage in conversations in terms of um, inclusion of the LGBTQ community, inclusion and, um, you know, having real conversations about racism and stuff like that? Because even now, as I'm talking about this idea of the right and left and everyone wants to blame and demonize the other side, I'm coming from that. I'm coming to that conclusion from my interpretation of scripture, but also that's very much colored by my life of privilege, right? Like I, I can say that as an, as an outsider who hasn't been directly affected by hate or violence or body shaming or any of that stuff. So I have a a clear picture and where's my place in that? Because I can't go out and condemn, condemn someone for not, you know, maintaining the status quo of unity when they're the one that's been oppressed and they're, they are lashing out. They do want punishment for their, for their abusers or accusers or oppressors or whatever. And that's understandable. And there needs to be a place for that. So like my you just brought up something that reminded me of something like these kids who are marching, right? Marching against uh, gun violence and oh, stuff. Yes. There are people that are like, no, you need to sit down at the table with your neo-Nazi murderers. And like, they're like, no, there, I, there's a person, Sarah Moon. She used to write a blog. Um, I don't know if she still does Sarah over the moon, but she put on Facebook. She's like, stop telling children to be Christ to neo-Nazis, <laughs> like try to convert them right. and set that at table with them and stuff. And it's like, yeah, that's pretty interesting. You know, the, the way that we, um, we demonize people for actually resisting harm, truly harmful, like murder, you know, that, right. that's right. Yeah. The, the, what is the, it? Not the march out, but the march up is the, the, the whole theme of going up to people and being friends and all that kind of stuff, which is good, but not, not in terms of what's actually happening. like, And it's not even in line with the purpose of why students are marching out. That's actually perfect because it illustrates like what we think of repentance when we think of like evangelical repentance. It's this personal responsibility for the evils in the world. Right. Like you are causing um, this wrathful God to hate you or, you know, you're causing these problems in the world. And so you have to repent of your personal whatever and don't look at the systemic stuff. Because in that right. instance, they're being demonized for looking at the systemic evils. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. We should have probably started with that as our overall <laughs> current, <laughs> current event analogy to this whole idea. But I agree with that. It it makes me, you know, as a side note, it really makes me wish I was a youth pastor right now. Like all the things I felt like towards the end of my tenure as a youth pastor, I was like pushing students to be a voice and all that kind of stuff. I would be so proud to see my students walking in the streets and being a part of this, like, ah, I've never missed being a youth pastor so much than I did yesterday watching the footage um, of students standing up and then being angry at people that were trying to prevent them. Uh, Anyway. um, Some some of those kids are so eloquent. And I know that we're, we've been. They're actors, Alan. They're actors. It looks like. (laughs) (laughs) I know some kids nervous. His, he saw, he saw his classmates murdered. Uh, He gets on national television for the first time and he's a kid and he's nervous. So he's like messing up when he speaks. Oh, he must be an actor. (laughs) It's like, dude, can you imagine being in that situation? You know, I, I, I know we're holding them up. Honestly, it feels like progressive communities are holding these people up, these kids, because we like lost hope for our own generation to have anyone stand up in some eloquent way and put their foot down. Cause it's like all of our, it's like all of our heroes are compromised. So we're like trying to get to this tabula rasa of these young kids who are, you know, not sold out yet and try to put them up as a standard. That breaks my heart. I have always wanted mentors. And th- th- this this directly ties into repentance. Um, I don't know. I think I had a conversation with you, Jeff, a long time ago about wanting mentors. Like, right? Yeah. I I I I needed and wanted them, and I've had mentors in the past who have, you know, had some pretty bad stuff happen, and uh, um, you know how all your heroes die and stuff like that, and you change. But one of the things I lack now is um people to look up to as mentors, and I used to watch Scrubs. You know that show with JD yeah. and Dr. Cox? I mean, I've said this before on the show, but like I loved that. I feel like JD, like the way he looks up to <laughs> Dr. Cox, like, oh, I need a mentor so bad. But it's like we, we're looking to these young kids to show us a different way of being in our country and being as human beings in our society that are questioning stuff because we don't have that. Where anywhere in our society do we have a sincere 
expression of belief that's not right. covered by a, a PR machine that scrutinizes every word and every letter and what it means and can't can just communicate something in the moment and be fine with that without it being a reflection of like someone's holistic belief when they want to lament publicly. And yeah. that is, it's, it's frustrating. And I think that this is the perfect time because really who in our society even has the, I don't know what, how to describe, it, but like the reputation or the, I don't know, the balance of perception that teenagers do, right? Like most people, in general, we've lamented against this before is they discount teenagers because, you know, they're selfish or whatever and all that kind of stuff. So they don't have anything to lose by coming out and saying, like, right. we had this experience and it's real and we're going to stand for it and we're going to use all the things that we've been accused of being like, you know, complainers and persistent and all that kind of stuff and use it in a way that is actually going to make change because they've made more change by coming and stepping out than any politician or any progressive religious leader has ever made in terms of actually getting at least incremental change done. I mean, they just recently passed the law in Florida. They they got something done that, you know, changed the, the I think it was the age of the someone who can buy a gun in Florida to 21. It's small, but it's more right. than anyone else has ever done. And I, I think, think it's in that same law. Teachers are now allowed to bring guns to school too. So, <laughs> well, but at least there's some movement, right? So, yeah, <laughs> one step forward, two steps back. But still, like, it's still, and yeah, maybe symbolic. And I think that that's going back to this idea of repentance. Is yes, we have, we have that surface level change, and and only hoping that it then eventually leads to more of like a systemic uh, change of consciousness, of movement, of philosophy, of place in the world. And I think we, in our society, particularly. We do a good job of the first part of calling things out, but we don't do a very good job of then the steps necessary after that to 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 not just make surface level change, but real, you know, deep, lasting change. I think that I think that's my point. Yeah, is that I, I run everything through my biblical studies lens because that's who I am. But Jesus over and over didn't just heal people for healing's sake, and he tried to make that point over and over. He was healing people. And then communicating a different way of doing life. Those two things can't, you know, those things have to coexist. And I, and I would argue honored the individuality of the person in doing so, because never Absolutely. once does Jesus say, go repent. And then here are the exact steps that you need to do in order to change your life. It's just <laughs> go like part of that journey is figuring it out. Balancing right. who you are and who you are within the community that you're in and not just your place internally, but your place externally. And that's a process that's difficult. And that requires connection. And maybe you're touching on why we, we hate the word repentance in some scenarios is that it's like, there's a one size fits all. Right. Repentance just means if you're a man, repentance looks like this. And if you're a woman, repentance looks like this. And here's your box that you fit into. This is like the evangelicalism I came from. As long as you look like this pre cutout thing, you're good. You know, that that's not the language of journey or travel. That's the language of like, I don't know, McDonald's or something. Or the the, <laughs> the the other road towards, you know, evangelical repentance would be become president and say you don't need repentance. And that's OK because you have enough power mm. to say that. Yeah, that that's interesting. I wonder there, ha- there has to be a balance there because I grew up in a youth group where I thought I was a piece of poop and I knew I needed a change at every instance of my life. So much so that I lost sight of what you spoke about with Jesus, like having my own identity, my own path, my own agency, stuff like that. So I was so ready for repentance that it hurt me, I think. And then on the other side of the spectrum, there are people, you know, who never question anything that they do and the way that they think or the way their life is. Um, So there has to be a healthy balance there. There's a, I think it's a Jane Austen novel. I can't remember which book this is in, but it says, uh, Oh no, House of Mirth, Edith Wharton. Uh, this person is such a prude that virtue is a vice. You know, people who are like so good that it actually becomes the negation of the thing that they're trying to be. I feel like I feel like that was me as a kid. And so when I went to youth group and I heard things about like you're sinful, I took that harder, I think, than most kids did. And I really like internalized a lot of those messages. And you need to change. It was like it got to the point where I thought I was sinning all the time and I always need to change about every little thing going on in my life that um, that it was almost debilitating. And so when you hear the word repentance and you've been in that kind of spiritually maybe abusive, whether you've done it to yourself or whether the community's done it to you, 
the word repentance is offensive on like a visceral level because it's telling me that it brings up all the baggage of not having my own agency, not just my own agency, my God given edict, like command to figure to do life, to do life from like my own sense of compass and my own um, individuality as being a holy thing. Like, Hey, <laughs> you've been given this life. You've been given your, your time on this planet, like do something with it, you know, like that kind of message. It, repentance almost sins against that. So I, I think I want to be the kind of person who is ready to hear the message of repentance. When I hear it from my, um, my friends and my colleagues who bring up something about a systemic oppression or something that I've never thought about before, or that maybe I'm complicit in, I want to be in a place where I can actually hear that and where I can see where a different kind of life is and then be a part of that and pursue that. And on the other hand, I want to resist this. You know what it is? I don't think we have language for what it is we're coming from. You know, there's there is something about the repentance of my past that is different about how I think about repentance now. And I can't describe what that repentance is like. And I'm struggling to come up with words for it. But it wasn't healthy. It wasn't life giving and wholesome. It was it was like negating your own self kind of thing, negating your existence almost. Yeah, I wonder what it is. I wonder if when you were talking about like the idea of when your youth pastor would say certain things and you'd internalize it and you'd always be like, I need to do better. I need to do better because I felt that same way in youth group. Um, And then one of the first times that it kind of dawned on me, wait a minute, I need to rethink this whole thing. I found that as I was preparing for my messages as a youth pastor, that the people on my mind were the very ones that were not falling in line. They were the ones that were motivating the things I was going to say in whatever my idea of the line was, right? Like I know this kid or this student over here is hurting or this student really needs to get it together. And my whole message was based on that. And I don't think until that moment I'd stopped and thought, I was like, wait a minute, what about all the other students that are just doing what they're doing? And what am I doing in that moment by calling out the ones that need the most change and making the people that feel like they don't, not that they don't need to change, but that they're okay as a person feel like they're not because I'm, I've never been talking to them. It's like they're listening into – it's almost like yes. I was I was creating an environment where the students were listening in like the, the classic sitcom trope of they were listening to a conversation that wasn't about them, but they thought it was. So it made them feel more guilty and they try to change. And then, you know, if you took five minutes at the end of every sitcom, you'd I be able to resolve all those communications. My, yeah. life, my life, my life is still that me listening in on conversations feel like someone's talking about me and then changing my life. And, um, uh, there, there's a classic, I think <laughs> there's a classic verse about that where I think it's like Titus or Timothy, where Paul says, exhort those who need to be exhorted in being that kind of leader, you're paying attention to where people are at. And I think you're right in saying that the way that even I preached and the way evangelicalism tends to do church, maybe even progressive churches do that too. You're speaking to certain people and you don't realize the effect you're having. Yeah, my, my youth pastor probably didn't realize how it was affecting me. Probably not. Like, it was brutal. <laughs> Yeah, same thing for I, me. I, I, I remember back and, in my journals. I look back at my journals and I look back at the way I prayed and the way my my nights went when I was in high school. And I don't wish that on any developing adolescent because it was um it was bad. And like I I experienced a lot of good out of it. I did feel connected to God. I like I've worked through it, but you know, feeling constantly unworthy to even like pray or like be a human was was pretty debilitating. So I'm much more interested in someone demonstrating what the way of life is and then inviting people. Repentance is like an invitation, you know? It's not just condemnation and judgment. You can't say, hey, uh, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, and then hear Jesus say repent and think that repent is a condemnation, you know? You're not condemning people's paths. You're inviting them to something different. And so that's – I'm interested in churches right now that that are doing that. Show me this different community because a lot of the progressives, progressive Christian voices right now are just are just crapping on the past and not demonstrating a better way of being a more holistic community. A lot of the church, the post evangelical stuff we've seen is people who are just angry at church or angry at what's been happening to them. And that's totally fine. That's a place to be. But where are the communities that have demonstrated like forward movement and, and healthy community? 
Exactly. And not only that, not only the space is it like lamenting and being upset about what is, but then also the other end of that are people that are just trying to create a new status quo and everything's fine and, oh, that's cool, bro, and so good and all that kind of stuff and, and not providing any like acknowledgement to the real things that are happening. And I think that that's the balance, that's right? Cool, bro. <laughs> is, <laughs> is Is calling everything out on one end and then calling nothing out on the other by just invitation. So, I mean, I agree with you. I think that our our mode as – well, obviously, both of us working in church, there's not enough invitation. There's a lot of like here's information. Um, but then on the other end of that is that we feel like in order to invite, you can't call out at the same time. Like there has to – both can exist in the same space. Right. Like both have to exist in the same space or neither is neither is good on their own. Like it's an invitation to something new with the acknowledgement, not only just like a unsaid acknowledgement, but a very direct acknowledgement that there's something wrong over here and, and both have to exist. And I feel like we, it's easy to get into a place of either or, and I think that's kind of the motivation for this show, right? Like we, we have our complaints and we have the things that we want to rail against, but we also like aren't satisfied with just ranting we're not satisfied with just deconstruction we we're, we want we want something more and we want to be a part of creating something more that's not always motivated by bad experience but positive experience which is why i loved our episode last week because i feel like when we talked about intersections with with yeah. your group it's 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 an embodiment of that and you know headed into easter we need more talk about embodiment things that that take physical form that are good that move us forward and uh repentance is the step towards that, but not the way of repentance that we've been told, but repent in the sense that we want to see a systematic shift of consciousness into something better and, and have to learning model it. a new way to do something, right. learning a better way, learning a, um, a more life-giving way. And that requires people doing it, demonstrating it, and then leading other people into it. Yeah. So let's do it. <laughs> so repent. <laughs> That's right. Repent. 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 For the kingdom is at hand. It just it the word means something so different. You look at like the the eighteen hundreds Great Awakening stuff in America and the stuff that they're or the Second Great Awakening. You look at like the newspapers being published where it's like repent, right? Or you see people on the street corner with like people things repent. God hates you and you're gonna go to hell and all stuff. Then I look at my clergy who are uh, who are in Lent and they have a stole that says repent, but for them it means something extremely different. Right. You know? Right. And uh, I I don't know where that disconnect is, but I think I've kind of arrived at it a little bit in this conversation. Hey, if you're listening and and you've been told to be repent in the past and it's hurt you, like know that I'm there and I'm with you. And uh, I don't know. I can see how this would be a, a tough word for a lot of people. That's all. Right. And hopefully, hopefully this conversation, at least I think this conversation is, is the end result of our reframing of, or not the end result, but maybe the middle result of us reframing that word repentance into something mm-hmm. positive and new. You know, and I think that that's part of any change is that we, we have to recontextualize old word, old words and either replace them with new words that mean more what we want or, you know, learn to create them as an axiom where no, this is what I mean when I say this and, and a bit of reclaiming, you know, which is also just as powerful. So, yeah. So I guess we have reclaimed repentance and it now <laughs> it means invitation, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Invitation, demonstration, learning. Yeah, we should, uh, we should find some place that makes custom, uh, <laughs> uh, doormats that says repent as like, welcome. <laughs> Instead, inviting and just inviting it, right? Like, just put it right there. Repent. I am so ready to hear that word from a community that's showing me life abundant. Right. A different way of doing things with tons of mentors and tons of people who have been down this path and have been doing it. I'll hear that. I'll hear, hey, yeah, I could tell something in my life is not working out. I'd love to experience what this kind of life is, you know, like, yeah, for sure. In that sense, that word is meaningful and life-giving for me. Makes me wish I was preaching on Sunday. I feel like (laughs) (laughs) actually, I'm going to preach this. There you go, (laughs) because it's the last Sunday in Lent before uh, before Palm Sunday, and Lent's about a time of uh, introspection. Right. Well, then you're welcome, Alan, for the the sermon topic. This. (laughs) Thank you, Jeff. All right. Well, let us know what you think. We would. We really like. We always want 
your voice added to these conversations, but we'd really love to hear from you as far as your thoughts on the things that we've brought to the table and kind of how repentance has looked in your life. You can do that on our Facebook page. You can do that on our Twitter. You can do that on the the show notes at, on, for this episode, which is irenacast.com slash 114. That's irenacast.com slash 114. And, uh, on the show notes are all the ways to get a hold of us. Um, so links to our social media, our email, our individual email, and then the show email as well. So that's irenacast.com slash 114. Uh, so after the music, we are going to be playing our first round in a while of Famous Christians for 100. So Famous Christians for 100, I think we did on our like first or second episode. It was one of the early segments we came up with, and it's pretty simple. We have come up with quotes from people who are culturally recognized as Christian, and we read a quote, and we have to guess. The other host has to guess who it is. Um, so th- this isn't necessarily negative, although it's fun to find horrible tweets and try to guess which <laughs> which person Don't we all say horrible things from time to time we all do we all do and then sometimes we're surprised by someone who we deem is horrible saying something actually pretty good and insightful <laughs> so uh the whole point of this game is to subvert expectations to a certain degree so um this will be the first time we've done it with just the two of us so we'll see right how it goes so alan let's start with you what's your first do we have to quote? answer it like in jeopardy what is kurt cameron Kind of there. <laughs> if you would like to. <laughs> I already mentioned him first. at the top of the show, so I can give right. you a spoiler that none of my quotes are from him. None mm. of my quotes are from him either. All right. <laughs> You're steeped in his uh, culture, so uh, with your Divine Cinema stuff. So I felt like I couldn't get away with it. It's true. I'm, oh man, I'm, I know eventually we're going to have to do another one of his movies. Anyway. Um, Maybe we should invite him on here. We... <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what to say to that your face is all blushing <laughs> i don't know how uh how okay I would so deal with that. um here's my first one negative personal attacks have no place in public life and serve to erode public confidence in our basic institutions of government it's a good quote I'm scared that it's going to be from someone that's very self-unaware of the fact that they <laughs> support someone who does that very same thing. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that that's something that Donald Trump actually said. Close. Oh. It's Mike Pence. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that Donald Trump actually said. I thought we were playing famous Christians, Jeff. Oh, sorry, I shouldn't say Cultural that. Cultural Christians. And there's a large if, part of our culture that has touted Donald him Donald Trump Christian. says he's a Christian, then I'll take him at his word. And I'll hold him to it. Stop being an ass. (laughs) (laughs) Repent. (laughs) Oh, goodness. I can't. Uh, Yeah. When was that said? When was that said? I don't know. Oh, my goodness. Pretty interesting, though, right? It is interesting. So, So Mike Pence, if you hold him to that, he believes that the president of the United States is eroding the public confidence in our basic institutions of government. He just called some news anchor who's never done anything wrong. A sleepy-eyed son of a bitch, and everybody like clapped like this week. Really, I didn't know that. And, and he attacked like six women. Yeah, you know the guy in Pennsylvania who was running. Uh huh. Um, he had Trump do a convention thing for him to support him, but Trump didn't talk about the guy the whole time. He just talked about himself like he was on a campaign rally. Campaign rally. So business he, like, as usual. Bad mouth. Yeah, he badmouthed Oprah. He badmouthed Maxine Waters. Called her a low low IQ individual. Like all these women, he's just like he's just saying all this stuff, and everybody's clapping and stuff, right? It's like it's weird that the president of the United States would. And I I think like we can't. <laughs> I'm trying not to lose the fact that like this is weird. This is not normal that a president would call a reporter a sleepy eyed son of a bitch. Was just you know. And, of course, all the other things, too, insulting women for, like, their low IQ or something when they're definitely not that. Um, just weird. And this is Trump, not Pence, right? That's Trump. Okay. Personal attacks. But but Pence, you know, he's the vice president. And and a guy who at least puts forward kind of a uh, – almost like a textbook version of evangelicalism, right? Like, right. And the – Textbook is in pristine and bullet-pointed and – Right. You think with a president like this, this this is when the biblical manhood people should be most vocal, right? Like Hey, I didn't think about it that way. 
Because these are all right. the things that I was told not to be in, like, Wild at Heart seminars. And, like, yeah. Like, he embodies the opposite of that. But, you know. Interesting. Anyway. Okay. So, my quote. Okay. I picked this because, to me. So you have zero points. I have zero points. I was close, though. <laughs> I interrupted you. <laughs> you get half a point. I get half a point. Because I was like, ah, you know, I could go like, as a as a progressive uh, Christian. But, no, this this seems too too yeah. too good. Okay. So I picked this quote because just the very like unawareness of how these words don't fit together. Just they just struck me for some reason. So this is it. If the church is not victorious over the world, then we will cease to survive. We are called to be salt and light in the world filled with corruption and darkness. I picked it because of the juxtaposition of victorious over the world and then using the concept of salt and light as a as a weapon. Oh, it, interesting. It, it just <laughs> interesting. Yeah, it salt ba- cannot be that. That's interesting. It baffles me. Oh my gosh, me. I didn't think of that. Unless you think of salt as in like, uh, you know, you're going to salt someone's <laughs> field so they can't freaking grow anything. Right. Or light and flash some light <laughs> oh, in their face so you can punch them in the groin. So they're blind. <laughs> oh, who would say that? Um, who mixes metaphors really well? Franklin Graham. No, no. In the same camp, but it's Pastor John Haggie. Oh, I know people who listen to him. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, he says some pretty interesting things. um, If you really listen to some of the stuff he says. Okay, so I get a fourth of a point. I'll give you a fourth of a point. (laughs) They're in the same vein. I remember John Haggie because I used to watch TBN from time to time and he would always have these elaborate like graphics for end time stuff. Like he's very like skilled visually in like putting this stuff out there. You know, obviously I don't agree, but he was, you know, he's got a, he's got a knack for the the visual in, in uh, presenting his whatever. (laughs) Yeah. So he's, he's an interesting follow on, uh, on Twitter. Mm -hmm. That was a, a Twitter, a tweet from March 2nd of this year. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to decide which, which one I'm going to go with. Why not this? Here we go. Oh, how I would like a poor church and for the poor. Now you have just a qualifying question. You have chosen modern Christians or are you? Yes. Okay. So you all, all alive. All alive. Okay. That sounds like something. Shane Claiborne would say. <laughs> he would say something like that. Dude makes his own clothes. He's my hero. Okay, maybe I do have heroes and mentors. Oh, crap. I need to give him a call. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, no, that's Pope Francis. Okay. Which I found interesting. Yeah. I'm of two minds of Pope Francis, mm-hmm. but... I'm of two minds of everyone, dude. I know. But definitely some of the stuff Pope Francis has said has not been great. Uh, admittedly, but uh, I've always found it really interesting. So I was in a, a, a position of as a youth pastor at a very wealthy church in Southern California, talking to a community of people who are probably the most well off, like you know the one percenters in the whole world kind of thing. Um, how do you preach to people like that? <laughs> you know, it's right. a, it's a, such a different thing than than talking to you know a bunch of teens of some kids in a rural um, place somewhere. Because I've been in different youth groups, you know, and I think that uh, Pope Francis is sitting on a treasury of God knows how much wealth, right? Oh my gosh, yeah. So how how how? And not that it's good or bad or right or wrong, but if you found yourself being the Pope and you really believed this that the church. It would be nice to have a poor church that that interacts with the poor. How do you get there? You know, right? I mean, th- th- there are some churches, like Presbyterian Church, that are de- uh, uninvesting. What's the what's the word? D something um, from like fossil fuel industries, right? They're taking out their their stuff. So that there's like steps you can take to be more just or whatever. But dismantling the bigger stuff, it's almost like you need all the, those youth who don't know that you know. That they're wrong and nothing will ever change <laughs> like to come undo everything and redo everything burn it all down and right nice all right a second quote is this i always say that almost any time the word racial is used it can be replaced by racist huh that's either like a really good quote or a really bad one i'm trying to like run it in my mind because like if i think of racial justice 
racist justice doesn't quite fit. But we also talk about like a racially motivated. Those things are racist, racist motivated acts of violence. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with um, Cornell West. Cornell West, close in terms of the the mode in which this person operates. Uh, it's a a man named uh, Broderick Greer. He oh okay yeah he was uh, the host of Theology Live, a podcast from Nashville, and then he changed parishes and is in now in the Denver area and has a new podcast called Mile Hall the- High Theology, and uh, it's fantastic. One of my favorite people to follow on Twitter. Uh, but this was a tweet from today as we record. It was about four hours ago. Really? Yeah, I love that because it's true. It's like. Hey, there was a racially motivated crime. No, you mean a racist crime. <laughs> right, exactly. And he 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 uh he said this in response to an article where someone's interviewing Senator T- Tim Scott and they asked, "Do you think Trump is a racist?" and he says, "I don't." And then the interviewer says, "Is he racially insensitive?" and Scott said, "Yes, but he but is he racist?" and he says, "No." Right. So, exactly. That's uh yeah. Exactly. It's a good good quote. I love this guy. He's he's great. If you if you want like regular tweets, this guy tweets all the time. I'm, I think he lives on Twitter, but he's really, really wonderful to That's follow. Cool. And his podcasts really are cool. great. All right, here we go, man. Um, <laughs> I almost didn't want to read this. Here we go. When a youngster tries this kind of stick neft, stiff necked rebellion, you had better take it out of him. And pain is a marvelous purifier. Ah. Oh. And this person has also called kids bratty. Pugnacious, anarchists, horrid, negative, sour, sullen, selfish, insane, obnoxious, spoiled brat, groaning lump, and on and on and on. That is awful. <laughs> that quote infuriates me. Like, I'm so mad right now. I don't even want to know who it is because I feel like I would. Maybe you need some pain in your life to purify you. <laughs> oh. Like, that. that is a public affirmation of, of, abuse. of abuse. Like, Absolutely. that is. Oh, my gosh. So the quote is, when a youngster tries this kind of stick, neck, stick stiff-necked rebellion, I can't say that word. It's stupid. Anybody who says stiff-necked, like, I know who you are already. <laughs> gosh. Is this in terms of, is this in response to the walkout or the march out? No. No. Uh, no, can... this is a while ago. When a youngster tries this kind of stiff-necked rebellion, you had better take it out of him, and pain is a marvelous purifier. Man, that sounds like Fallwell. I'm going to go with Falwell on that one. Jerry Falwell Jr. Liberty it's actually University. James Dobson. Oh, it's even the worse. author of many, 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 many parenting books that everybody bought from my past. Man. Yeah, focus Very on the family. Prolific evangelical. Mm-hmm. Man. I think that I think that you should change your Twitter bio to Pain is a Marvelous Purifier. And try not to look like Hitler. <laughs> oh, gosh. That belongs on one of those is it Hitler blogs right? or sites or whatever. That is that is Seriously. the worst. That is the worst. I, <sighs> I Especially after our episode on pain and the nature of pain and suffering and stuff, to hear pain as a purifier really pisses me off. It really does. So – are you going to look at your kids and be like, oh, you stupid little anarchists? <laughs> do what I tell you. To That's do. the plan. That's the plan. Spoil spoil uh, the child, spare the rod, you know? Yeah. <laughs> or spare the rod, spoil the child, whatever. Oh, uh, the rod is important in that, in, that, in that verse, by the way, because when you take a rod to a child, you are maintaining the authority and control that is required in society and from God. It has nothing to do with the child's well-being, right? It's the rod. You don't want to. You don't want to like spare the rod and spoil it. You know. I can't believe that that sells like hotcakes. You know. Well, I mean, there's buy it and do it in their families. There's worse. I mean that that quote can be wiggled out of in terms of well, it's hyperbole or rhetoric, but there's parenting curriculum specifically uh, a guy named Ezo who does curriculum that encourages beating children. Like, right? Ah. Yeah, the, the stuff with infant, like... Right. I think it's like Growing Kids God's Way or something like that. that. Yeah, it's Growing Kids God's Way. They tried to introduce it at one of my churches that I, that I first worked in. 
someone did. And I went to the pastor who had never heard of it before and had like an hour conversation with him. And I'm like, I brought articles. I was like, here's from the American like pediatrics association saying that this is really bad for your children. And he's like, Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. We had to do the same thing at one of our churches is, is bring <laughs> up that that was being put in there, but it's on man. And ne- neglecting infants is just not, you know, God's way or whatever. It doesn't feel like it. If you have to go against your n- instincts as a mom, you're probably you're probably right. you're probably a victim of someone's little charlatan ruse thing. Right. Well, and any anything, whether it's parenting or business or anything, any philosophy that's predicated on the main the maintenance of power and control is wrong. Right. Period. Yeah. True. E- even parenting, it's ridiculous. All right. Especially parenting. Okay. Next one. Speaking of awful things, here's my last okay. quote. Your last quote. This is in response to back in, I think it was like 2006 or 2007 when Ted Haggart was discovered with male prostitutes yes. and meth. So this is in, in response to that. It's not uncommon to meet pastor's wives who really let themselves go. <laughs> I already know who it is. <laughs> it's Mark Driscoll, dude. <laughs> it is. Was that the full quote or is there more? That's the quote that I have, but it's in response to that, meaning meaning that by, might be the motivation for why Ted Haggard would have to go to males is because his wife let herself go. Is the, the insinuation. fuller context of that quote is like they feel like their husbands have been trapped into fidelity because they're Christian leaders, but really women should realize that they have to take care of themselves else – erstwhile their men will stray. Right. <laughs> I don't know exactly how he said it, but I remember reading that and being like – is this real life? I remember that coming out. Like I was, I read that when it came out and then I went to my wife and I said, it's your fault that I have problems. That's right. <laughs> it's, it's just the worst. I think I, I point that out because he's, he's starting to creep back into the, oh, yeah. the Christian cultural landscape now that he's distanced himself away from his last controversy. So but right, yeah, no, this right. is pretty awful. One one thing I do want to point out about that that though, and this is really important, they've they've seen like infidelity, but especially abuse, has a lot more to do with power and a lot less to do with like sexuality or sex in general or attractiveness and stuff. So all, all all of the data points that it's about it's about the exertion of power and control. And so if people feel powerless in their in their their world or whatever, that's one way that they try to get power. With abuse, it probably takes even a weirder thing, but that couldn't be more wrongheaded and addressed in a more wrong way in my mind. That's one of the worst things anyone's ever right. said. It's really, it's really <laughs> like, bad. Period. <laughs> and it's it's that it's that uh, you know, subversion of common sense. We're using common sense as this thing that's like like you said. It's not about like sexual attractiveness or whatever. It's about power and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's using the perception of common sense to try to get people to believe one thing. Cause even during that whole scandal with Ted Haggard, he said something like, you know, I called to buy meth, but then I threw it away. Like if he can find some technical surface reason for what he did, but then he, you know, immediately didn't do what he did, then that makes everything okay. And it's, yeah, yeah. All that stuff. That's, a, that's unfortunate, man. It's unfortunate that we'd look at victims of pain and like, like his wife and be like, you know, you really shouldn't let yourself go. I feel like taking the person who said that and being like, yep, you're not allowed to speak in public ever again. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Right? Like your your public speaking or, card or, is revoked. Or write books on marriage. I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> like he wrote a book on marriage, right? Or do seminars on marriage. Or yeah, oh, he did. Dude. It's a, it's It's funny to say this and poke fun at it, but it's affecting families across our society. There are so many families that are predicated and built on this crap that it uh, it affects the way, you know, an entire generation is being raised. Yeah. And that brings us full circle from our conversation on repentance to <laughs> this instance of this quote. Uh, so that will do it for us this week. Alan, how can people find out what you have going on on the interwebs? Man, I feel like I got so much going on. Um, I'm going to plug my Instagram since I don't usually do that. I put up pictures on Instagram of books I'm reading or places I'm going, all the people you'll see. So if you want to follow that, that's Alan Obi. Got lots of good stuff on there, but there's, you know, everything else I usually do tons of blogs and whatever. 
find me on Facebook and then you can run the rabbit hole if you want to. Sounds good. And you can follow me on all the socials at Jeff Manildi and listen on the second and fourth Thursday of every month to my other podcast, Divine Cinema. Uh, that's at divinecinema.net, although we're on a little bit of a break. So episodes will resume again uh, at the, the first or the second Thursday of April. Um, as for Irenacast, if you enjoy what we do here, recommend us to a friend or leave a rating and review for us on whatever podcasting platform you are listening on. We would really appreciate it. In fact, thank you to Bob37748 from the USA for leading us an iTunes review. Uh, he said, I've only recently discovered this long-running podcast, and I am only up to episode 10. I love it so far, and based on the titles of future podcasts, I can't wait to hear what they have to say. I'm a disillusioned former evangelical wondering what to believe now. I still believe God and Jesus, but I wonder what does it mean for me now? The podcast explores those issues. So thank you so much, Bob, for the the wonderful five-star review. Uh, we really that appreciate it. That kind of nails where we're at. I it kind of does. God and Jesus, but I don't really know what that means. <laughs> exactly. That's perfect. Exactly. Perfect. Um, if you'd like to take your support of the show to the next level, you can consider going to airbrandingcast.com slash Amazon before you make your next purchase and then just shop as usual. Uh, by using that link, we'll receive a small percentage of your purchase without any extra cost to you. Just a little help in covering some of the costs associated with running the podcast. That's irenacast.com slash Amazon. So for this week, I'm Jeff. I'm Alan. Thanks for joining the conversation. 